Uh, today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 118, and it's uh, printed inside your bulletin. You can follow along as it's being read. Psalm 118. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. I will give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. (coughs) Uh, I've had this cough for about like three months now. Uh, Thank you if you've been praying. But uh, I might have to take a couple sips of tea once in a while. So, you know what we've been doing? We've been spending uh, some time in the Psalms. And here's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to kind of compile an album, like a music album of songs that we can turn to, that we can sing when we need to pray uh, in various experiences of life that we might encounter. So uh, we've looked at some of the maybe harder Psalms in terms of like our anger, our sorrow, and so our doubts and so forth. And now we're kind of in the section where we're looking at some of the more positive psalms. So we looked at things like awe. Uh, we looked at uh, things like hope. Today, we're going to look at something called gratitude. Now, these psalms, uh, you know, a commentator called, what a commentator called them is something called orientation psalms. And I kind of like that description of these psalms because, you know, the reality of life is sometimes we do get disoriented and we lose our bearings a little bit. Uh, there is something called spatial disorientation that pilots uh, can experience. And what that basically is, is if you're a pilot and you are flying a plane and there is no reference point, so you can't see the ground, you're not really too sure which way is up and which way is down. And so they get disoriented sometimes, and therefore what they need to do is they need to rely on their instruments on the airplane in order to make sure that they have their bearings, in order to make sure that they can orient themselves and know which direction they are actually flying in. And I kind of look at psalms like this today and psalms that we've covered uh, recently as kind of like those pilot instruments. 
that they, they give us the proper orientation in terms of how we understand where up is and where down is, and it tethers us into God's reality. And, <clears throat> you know, the Psalms that we are starting to look at, like all hope, gratitude, and praise, uh, those are kind of like our pilot instruments, and it should direct us and orient us in terms of where our hearts ought to be. And today, we're going to look at a very important topic. We're going to look at gratitude, okay? Gratitude. I think this topic uh, providentially fits in with this week because this week is Thanksgiving. So this will probably be, uh, this is a message tailor-made to apply this week as we celebrate uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. But, you know, gratitude is something that is so important and so crucial, uh, especially for our just spiritual well-being and also our emotional well-being. Because without gratitude, uh, you might think the worst thing uh, to happen to you maybe is you'll, you'll become an entitled person. But actually, I think maybe the worst thing that happens to you if you don't have gratitude is you end up like this miserable, joyless person without gratitude. Now, if you're miserable or if you're depressed or discontent with life, I challenge you, see if there's any gratitude in your heart. Uh, instead, of, um, instead of gratitude, what I would guess is there's probably a lot of complaining and probably a lot of grumbling in terms of what you don't have or what you ought to have. And I think it's really uh, something symptomatic of just New, York, New Yorkers in general. Uh, New York is a place where everybody just kind of grumbles and complains about everything. And if you think about the rhythms of life in the city, uh, it doesn't make much room for gratitude because uh, in terms of, you know, gratitude requires you to kind of sit down and reflect on all the things that you have in order to be thankful. But uh, in New York, because the pace of life is so fast, we're basically just essentially focused on the next thing, the next thing that we need to achieve, the next thing that we need to attain, the next thing that we want, the next project. And because we're too busy and we're too focused on the next thing, we don't really take time to reflect and think about what we ought to be thankful for. And if you don't make gratitude an intentional practice, an intentional part of your life, in the rhythm of your life, I do think this kind of grumbling and complaining spirit is going to lead, down, lead you down a path of uh, being kind of a miserable person. Now, the reality of our life situation is this. We spend probably more of our time, more of our thoughts, more of our energy wanting and wishing rather than being thankful. We want more, right, all the time. We want more money. We want more space. We want more energy. We want more opportunity. We want better jobs, better families, better food, better weather, perhaps even better church. And because we are so fixated on these things and seeking that to, to make things better in our lives, uh, we don't have gratitude sometimes. And instead, what fills our hearts is complaints. And that's inevitable when all we focus on is what we want. You know, <clears throat> my oldest daughter, uh, when I tell her she can't have something, uh, her go-to response is, but I want it. Right? As if that's like the reason she should have it. But I want it. And... Uh, you know, so we have this playlist that we play for her, and it's like a bunch of kids' songs. But, you know, one of the songs in that playlist is the Rolling Stones song, You Can't Always Get What You Want. And uh, I'm teaching her that to indoctrinate her with this idea. Actually, we, it, was, it came on on the way to church today. And I said, Abby, sing it. You can't always get what you want, right? Uh, <clears throat> that, I think, is a reality of life. Think about what you want. Do you always get what you want? No, you don't. But if you can't deal with the reality of that, then pretty soon that wishing and wanting in life 
it's going to lead to complaining and grumbling. If you don't know how to handle that, if you don't know how to handle not getting what you want, we're not going to have gratitude. So you see, we need gratitude, but we also, we also have to make sure that we are seeking and attaining gratitude in the right way. You know, some of you might know this, um, but gratitude is not something that is seen as important or crucial uh, within Christianity, but gratitude is something that's widely understood as something that is important. And if you read, if you follow some of the things that take place in like the self-improvement movement or the positive thinking movement, uh, they also recognize the central importance of gratitude in terms of just being an emotionally healthy person. But I'm not suggesting that we should have gratitude so that we don't end up being miserable because ultimately that would probably be a little bit self-centered but biblical gratitude is, is something more than that. You know, there's this article that came out in the New York Times about two years ago, and it was called The Selfish Side of Gratitude. And uh, basically, this person was critiquing that self-improvement, uh, positive thinking uh, movement that says, use gratitude as a means, as a way to feel good. So the author quotes someone as saying this, uh, part of the movement saying, we need to cultivate our sense of gratitude through a morning ritual of writing in a gratitude journal or creating a thankfulness reminder on your phone to pop up as a way to remind you to be thankful. Uh, and so she's quoting somebody from this movement. And then her question, the person writing the article, is this. Who is interacting here? You and you. And I think she gets to something. Uh, she sees the irony of this in that gratitude, uh, the way it's practiced that way, is uh, essentially selfish. It's self-centered. It's all about you. And her, her argument is, you know, gratitude should be, the last thing gratitude should be is about you, but it should be about expressing thanksgiving to someone else. And so you see, we can easily twist gratitude to be all about us when in reality gratitude should be about others. But you know, we don't want to judge this movement too harshly because the reality is we do the same thing. We use gratitude and we twist it in a similar way. How so? Uh, we have this culture where we say thank you more because we want to be polite, more because it's a social convention and we want to meet social expectations rather than because we truly feel gratitude in our hearts, rather than because we truly want to express thanksgiving in our hearts. When you give somebody a gift, or when someone gives you a gift, what do you do? You write a thank you note, or you send an email and you say thank you. How do I sign off my emails? Oftentimes I say thanks, Sam. And uh, how much of that is really gratitude, and how much of that is just kind of following social conventions and being polite? I would say a lot of it, maybe 50% of the time, maybe 20% of the time. And if you're a Christian... Perhaps this is how we also approach our uh, sense of thanksgiving in our relationship with God. You know, probably the most consistent time that people pray is going to be before a meal. And what do we pray before a meal? We go, God, thank you for the food, right? Thank you for what we are about to eat. And, uh, you know, part of me thinks, like, maybe we just say this because, not because we truly feel gratitude in our hearts, uh, but because it's just like, that's, that's what we're supposed to say. Thank you for the food. And by the way, I'm a pastor, and therefore, as a pastor, you know, I get called upon to pray the most for meals in gatherings. <laughs> and uh, what do I do? I say, God, thank you for the food. Thank you for... But oftentimes, is true gratitude in my heart? I would say probably not, right? And maybe part of the reason is for that is because I've never truly experienced hunger. And I, I feel like if I experienced hunger and not having food and not knowing where my next meal was coming from, then perhaps there would be genuine gratitude in my heart. So you see Psalm 118, it is a psalm, and there's a, a couple other psalms like it, but it's a psalm that not only calls us to give thanks, but also shows us when we ought to give thanks and why we ought to give 
thanks. This is known as a Thanksgiving psalm. Is Thanksgiving is actually a subset of, a, of praise. And one of the ways in which we praise God is when we display our gratitude to him and thank him. And uh, in Tim Keller's book on prayer, I remember he had this illustration that has always stuck with me. But when he's talking about praying, prayers of thanksgiving, uh, a heart that lacks gratitude is the same thing as cosmic plagiarism. So if you write a paper, usually you footnote and you give credit to the source. But when there is no gratitude in our hearts, basically what we're doing is we're plagiarizing. We're taking credit away from the person who ultimately deserves the credit. And when we don't have gratitude, according to what Keller says in that book, it's cosmic plagiarism. So we need to give credit where credit is due. And uh, I want to spend the rest of this time just looking at this psalm and making a couple general observations about gratitude. Now, the first thing I want us to see is this. The psalm very clearly shows us that there is an object of thanksgiving. There's someone that we ought to give thanks to. First, and the last verse of the psalm says, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Now, I know that sounds like a basic point, but I think it's an important point that requires us to make a few assumptions in order to, to get there. You know, in that same New York Times article that I quoted that was critiquing the, uh, the self-help movement, the author also, you know, actually critiques uh, religious people, and she dismisses when religious people give thanks to an invisible God because she doesn't think it really means anything or does anything. So here's what she writes. She says, yet there is a need for more gratitude, especially from those who have a roof over their heads and food on their table. Only it should be more vigorous and inclusive sort of gratitude than what is being urged on us now. Who picked the lettuce in the fields, processed the standing rib roast, drove those products to the stores, stacked them on the supermarket shelves, and of course, prepared them and brought them to the table? Saying grace to an abstract God is an evasion. There are crowds, whole communities of actual people, many of them with aching backs and tenuous finances who made the meal possible. That's so interesting the way she puts that. Uh, saying grace to an abstract God is an, is an evasion. And I imagine the, way, the reason why she feels like that is because maybe her, in her conception of God, either God is not real or God is more like a watchmaker who kind of creates the world and sets it going and isn't really intimately involved in the world. But either way, that's not exactly how the Bible uh, talks about who God is and what he does in terms of his action. You know, in order to give thanks to the Lord, you have to accept a few things about the nature of God. You have to accept that God is the ultimate source of everything, everything. And that goes to this idea of cosmic plagiarism. That means that the food that we eat, it really does come from God. Now, how does it do that? Well, Martin Luther, uh, he was talking about work and our vocation, and he says, you know, how does God answer that prayer in the Lord's Prayer? Give us today our daily bread. God answers that prayer through the work of the farmer who harvests the wheat, through the work of the baker who bakes the bread, through the salesperson who actually sells the bread. And for Martin Luther, he didn't think that the involvement of people and people exercising their vocations and working negated the fact that God was ultimately the source of that bread, that God was ultimately the one who provided it. And in theological terms, what that's called is providence, which means that God provides for us through the natural and ordinary means of creation. And perhaps sometimes uh, we make the mistake of thinking that God can only work through supernatural and extraordinary means. And if God makes bread appear out of thin air, then that is, of course, God giving it to us. And sometimes we forget that, no, even when God works through creation, through our work, that is also God providing for us through his providence. And if we don't truly believe that, then it's hard to give thanks to him, right? 
because we don't actually believe these things come from him. Now, why is it important that we give thanks specifically to the Lord? Uh, If you read Romans 1, the way the Apostle Paul talks about unbelief is just so interesting because he doesn't talk about unbelief being kind of this intellectual problem, which I think is how uh, oftentimes people conceive of unbelief. He thinks about and talks about unbelief as being a problem of gratitude. So in Romans one twenty one, he says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so do you see that the intellectual problem actually comes later after there's this problem of gratitude? Now, if we don't give thanks to the Lord, what's the path? The path leads to foolishness of heart, darkening of our hearts, and therefore we need to give thanks to the Lord. Second, the psalm show us, shows us when we ought to give thanks, okay? When we ought to give thanks. Uh, now, by the way, this, this entire psalm is basically a communal expression of thanksgiving that the people of Israel would sing as they celebrate the Passover, Seder. And so you can just imagine, you know, you drink four glasses of wine in a Passover Seder, and uh, you recite certain scriptures, you sing certain psalms. So that's probably what they did year to year in order to remember God's saving work, how God saved the people of Israel from Egypt. And so on the one hand, they, they are remembering God's salvific work, but on the other hand, it's not all positive things. They're, they're also remembering uh, the hard things, the distress In uh, verses 10 to 13, it talks about how the nations surrounded him like bees. Verse 18, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And the psalm's actually giving thanks not only for the good things, but even for the hard things, the trials, the suffering times that this particular psalmist went through and experienced. Now think about this. Uh, Some of you may be suffering or going through a hard time. Uh, If you recall the last time you went through something hard, the last thing we probably think about doing in that moment is giving thanks, right? That just doesn't come naturally to us. But you know, if you talk to people who have suffered and gone through suffering well, it's so interesting how they often say how important it was during those times to have a heart of gratitude in order to get through that suffering in the right way. There's an article Uh, A few years ago on Stephen Colbert in GQ magazine, and uh, Stephen Colbert, he's he's actually a devout Catholic, but, you know, when he was a child, he went through some uh, tragic things. Uh, I don't know if you know, but at the age of 10, uh, he lost his father and two of his brothers uh, in a plane crash. They, They died, so it was just him and his mother for a while. And when he talks about that experience, this is what he says. He says this, you gotta learn to love the bomb. And by bomb, he means the tragic experience. You gotta learn to love the bomb, he said. Boy, did I have a bomb when I was 10. That was quite an explosion, and I learned to love it. So that's why maybe, I don't know, that might be why you don't see me as someone angry and working out my demons on stage. It's that I love the thing that I most wish had not happened. Now that last line, uh, the, the journalist or the writer who's interviewing him, that probably caught his attention because he repeats it again on a separate line. I love the thing that I most wish had not happened. Here's a journalist talking. I asked him if he could help me understand that better. 
and he described a letter from Tolkien in response to a priest who had questioned whether Tolkien's mythos was sufficiently doctrinaire since it treated death not as a punishment for sin of the fall, but as a gift. Tolkien says in a letter back, what punishments of God are not gifts? Colbert knocked his knuckles on the table. What punishments of God are not gifts, he said again. His eyes were filled with tears. So it would be ungrateful not to take everything with gratitude. It doesn't mean you want it. I can hold both of these ideas in my head. That's a crazy thing to say. You lose your father and your two brothers, and he's looking back and he's, he's trying to express gratitude. And at the same time, he's saying, I wish it didn't happen and I don't want it. But at the same time, I have gratitude. Now, that's, that's hard to explain, right? And you can see the writer of this article kind of having a hard time to explain it. I don't know if I understand it fully myself. And perhaps you only understand it as you go through the fire of it and try to exercise gratitude in order to experience and see the importance of gratitude in your heart. Otherwise, what's, what's the result? You kind of get angry and you become a bitter person. And you say, why did this happen to me? This shouldn't have happened to me. But then gratitude kind of takes you through that in, in a way that's healthy and in a way that connects you to uh, who God is. Another story, Elizabeth Elliot, she actually says the same thing. Elizabeth Elliot, if you don't know, she was married to a missionary named Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot, he wanted to reach out to uh, this Indian tribe in Ecuador. They had been married for three years. As Jim Elliot and a couple other missionaries went to try to make contact, the people that they were trying to reach with the gospel ended up killing them. So Elizabeth Elliot, after three years of marriage, with one daughter who was 10 months old, loses her husband. She remarries 16 years later, only to have that second husband die of cancer after only four years of marriage. Now her story, wow, you get married twice and both husbands, you have them for less than five years. She looks back on those hardships and she says, I see that as a gift, just like Stephen Colbert says. She recalls her own personal experiences of suffering and she says this, the deepest things that I have learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering. One of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come have come the deepest things that I know about God. And she's not saying that suffering is a good thing, but it's something that she is grateful for because in her words, it thrust her, forced her, hurried her to God. This psalm reflects real, genuine, actual hardship, suffering. And it shows that even in those times and even in those moments, it is important to give thanks to God for everything. Uh, The psalmist calls it a, a chastening or discipline. It's a discipline of the Lord. And those hardships we ought to be thankful for as well. Now, finally, this psalm shows us why we should give thanks. And you see it in the first and the last verse. and says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's, that's kind of the, the first and the last verse and sandwiched in between this psalm. The psalm says things like this, The Lord answered me. The Lord set me free. He's on my side. He's my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He has not given me over to death. And so you see, as I mentioned before, this is a psalm that would be sung during the Passover, and they're recalling how God spared the people of Israelite through the blood of lambs painted on the doorposts. And ultimately, that is what led Pharaoh to let God's people go. And you can imagine them drinking wine, reading scripture, singing the psalm, and remembering how God saved them. But you know, the Passover is still only a shadow of what God would ultimately do in Christ. Because what the Passover is actually pointing to is Jesus and his death upon a cross. 
that God passed over the people of Israel in the Old Testament because of the blood of the lambs, God would similarly pass over sinners such as us because of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, he fulfills this psalm in so many ways, in multiple ways. Actually, this is a psalm that is quoted in many passages in the New Testament. How does God reveal his steadfast love for us? He reveals it when Jesus is given over to death upon a cross so that we might be given over to new life. How can we say, I shall not die, but I shall live, and he has not given me over to death, as the psalmist says here, because Jesus died, was given over to death, but he was raised from the dead, and he conquered death, and through his resurrection, we also are able to overcome sin and death. How does God answer this cry in the psalm? Save us. We pray, O Lord. He gives us a Savior who would bear our sin upon himself so that we might be saved and spared from the just judgment that we deserve. You see, the truth of this psalm is is intensified, is fulfilled in Christ. And you know what that means about our gratitude? It means our gratitude ought to also be intensified as well because God has saved us and he has redeemed us and he has rescued us and he has given us strength and peace and hope and love that we are so undeserving of. What more could we want that he has not already given us in Christ? And in view of that, it really doesn't make sense to complain or to grumble. So maybe you don't like your job. Maybe you don't like where you live. Maybe you don't like the weather. Maybe you don't like the MTA. (laughs) Don't you know that God, the God of the universe, sent his son to die upon a cross for you and me? Put your complaints next to that statement. It's kind of like being saved from a burning building. And uh, after being saved, you complain to the firefighter, really, you put me in this spot? You couldn't take me out the back? You had to take me out the front? Really, all these fire trucks, their lights have to light up? They have to make all this noise? There has to be all these people? It's a bit ridiculous, right? After you've been saved from a burning building. That's kind of like what we are when we grumble and complain about the things in our life. You see, if you realize, if you truly realize what God has done for you in Christ, Everything kind of ends up being this minor inconvenience. Now look, I know our experience of gratitude is, uh, is not where it ought to be. Uh, I'll be honest with you, last week I was complaining a lot. A lot. Not just in my heart, I was complaining to my wife a lot. <laughs> I'm so tired. I'm not sleeping enough. <laughs> this cough is not going away. And, uh, you know, this week as I was preparing this message, I got a late start on this message, and I'll tell you why. I was, like, afraid to write this sermon because I was complaining so much last week. Uh, I was like, oh, my gosh, this sermon is going to kick my butt. (laughs) So I I put it off, right? I, I know our experience of gratitude is not always there, but psalms like this, we have to use them as if they are, like, instruments on a plane, And we have to use them to reorient our hearts, to tether ourselves to reality. 
Because again, in the busyness of life, right, we, we're all tired, we're all busy, we all want the next thing, we all want better things. In that busyness, the natural thing in our heart is not going to have gratitude, but it's going to focus on what we lack and what we don't have and what ought to be. Take a moment and look at this psalm and listen and reflect on some of the orienting truths of this psalm. God is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. God answers you. God sets you free. God is on your side. God is your strength and your song. God is your salvation. You shall not die but live. God has made his light shine upon you. And he does all these things, has done all these things through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, let us give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let's pray together.